Something better for Janelle. In honor of Antebellum, what movie musical should Janelle Monet appear in? Uh, I'm Katie Rich, and make a musical of Hidden Figures. Why not? I'd watch that. I am Matt Patches, and I'm going to say the 70s kind of rock horror musical by Paul Williams, Phantom of the Paradise, or maybe just anything horror. I feel like she would make a good horror musical. We don't get a lot of those. And I'm Dave with a 7, and I say make a Whitney Houston jukebox musical. I don't know what it'd be about. You guys figure that out. Uh, and I'm David Ehrlich, and, and why not cast her in the Gwyneth Paltrow role in a shot-for-shot remake of the masterpiece Duets? Wow. Why not? Why not? Gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. Fine, I can hear you now, Dimitri. Clear and plain and coming through fine. I'm coming through fine too, eh? Good, then. Well, then, as you say, we're both coming through fine. Good. Well, it's good that you're fine and, and I'm fine. I agree with you. It's great to be fine. It's, it's a podcast. podcast. Hello and welcome to Fighting in the War Room. It's episode 318 in Pandemic 28. It is the week <laughs> of Wednesday, 20, September 23rd, 2020. That is the day that in 1962, The Jetsons aired on ABC as the network's first color TV series. Which is wild. Was the Jetsons a primetime show? I believe so. That was the days in like primetime Hanna-Barbera stuff. They really totally haven't done anything it. with the Jetsons. Why not? That feels like a property just waiting for something to happen. Uh, yeah. I mean, past future nostalgia is a very particular type of nostalgia. Why isn't there a fully plastic home in Disneyland anymore? I would love to go see it. I, I want to correct myself. In 2017, a direct-to-video animated movie called The Jetsons, Jetsons and WWE Robo WrestleMania was released. Yeah. So well, I take it back. They are using that property quite well. Like Why a lot of pop culture, don't Google actual questions you have because the answers are depressing. That's true. But, like, why do they make two live-action Flintstones movies and not a Jetsons movie, I guess is my question. I know that Robert Rodriguez was going to direct a Jetsons movie for a while. And according to this Wikipedia page I'm on, they're trying to make a TV, a live-action TV remake directed by Robert Zemeckis? Oh, no. Oh, that sounds like the kind of thing Robert Zemeckis would say he wants to make and then never do. Oh, uh, Robert, stop that crazy thing. He's a, that's, a, that's a Jetsons reference. What is it a reference? What is, who says that in the Jetsons? Uh, George would get uh, it stuck in some sort of future contraption, and he'd call out for his wife to stop this crazy thing. Speaking of people Jay, trapped Jane, in stop this crazy, thing. crazy it's future a contraptions, David, do we have any reviews from the... <laughs> wow, <laughs> wow, you're trying yeah. to get back on track, taking my job. I had uh, the segue, we, I alley-ooped there. We, yeah. we do, uh, we're only going to read one of them, but I would encourage everyone listening to uh, we'll read, like, write us a review, rather, on iTunes Fighting in the War Room, even if you are now listening to this show on Spotify. Uh, mm. My microphone that I promised to get, I have not gotten yet, but I will, I will. Uh, <laughs> I'm on it. Uh, that yep. may actually come up in tonight's review. He's going he's gonna to tweet, I got my microphone for my podcast when he gets his microphone. And, but not podcast. mention the name of the podcast. <laughs> Hard yeah, no, to say. One thing, I, <laughs> that, would be, that would be a good bit. Uh, I'll have to think about that. In the meantime, I have a review from David Ehrlich to the world over Katie Rich's, or behind Katie Rich's back, about a video game, my latest addiction, Hades on the Switch. That's it. That's all I'm going to say. Wow, I didn't Down. know that I was the video game uh The video game police. Uh, just drop that in there in case any of our listeners want to play it. And we can double back to it in a future episode. But we are going to read a review from Staunch Character, who says, I'm thinking of reviewing things. I, did we read this last week? I don't think so. I don't think so. No, it sounds new to me. That's your job. Yeah, right. That's good. <laughs> it is my job, but uh, that doesn't mean it's getting done. Perhaps I fall into that starry-eyed group of listeners, as I am 22 and a recent college grad. Great time to graduate with a cinema and media studies degree, as you might imagine. Oh, staunch character, there's never a great time to graduate with no. a cinema and media studies degree. <laughs> but I thoroughly enjoy listening to this podcast. Beyond the hottest of takes, industry talk, and parenting advice, I prefer to think of this podcast as four friends setting aside an hour each week to catch up. My only gripe is with David, unoriginal, I know, and rather than knocking him for speaking over the other hosts, I knock him for doing so with the absolute lowest audio quality of the four. <laughs> per my previous email, staunch character, uh, 
we'll be addressing this in a future episode as well, along with Hades. Maybe when I get the microphone to celebrate, we'll do a segment on Hades. Yeah, as in a other tree, words, you can talk about as a, video a tree. Game as a tree, I get to talk about a video <laughs> game. That's a good deal. In other words, someone get this man a mic. I'm on it. Besides this, tune in for the great critical discussion, fun musical interludes, and a lovely sense of lifelong friendship. Review, very helpful all around, especially to anyone considering a cinema media studies degree. Best of luck out there. It's tough, but it's always been tough. I mean, that's not helpful. It's only getting worse. I sympathize with you. Good luck. Uh, please leave us a review on iTunes at Fighting in the War Room. We'll read it on the show no matter how disparaging or hopefully kind it may be. We do have a nice little like, generational handshake with uh, current college, like recent college graduates right now because we all graduated right around the recession times. Uh, yes. You know, been, been there, guys. Is I don't know. Uh, yeah, I, I mean – Feel free to include this in the segment. I mean, I, I want to say been there. I think emotionally we relate, but I do think that it's incrementally even harder for them than it was for us. Not that it's easy for us. Yeah. And yes, we are all royally fucked compared to our parents' generation as we are backsliding away from American prosperity. But uh, yes. That's I, what I, you I, listen to this podcast out. to hear about. The key yeah. is to start a podcast. Start a I mean, podcast if, and let all the money rolls in. If they're, if they're, if they're in the group that uh, still graduated college, then we're all together in the generation that was suckered into that. So Ooh. cheers to your debt, guys. Wait, we should actually update the uh, tabulation that we have running on Fighting in the War Room of how much money we've made off this podcast. I think it's at like negative $700 right now. Oh, wow. Oh, like man. Counting money yeah. spent on audio equipment and stuff. Well, yeah. I mean, we don't even need well, to we have zero. We have zero dollars in profits. <laughs> and yeah. We've spent money to make the show. So I That's think we're true. probably What about uh, emotional profit? Oh, I mean, uh, oh, we are in the, uh, in the black infinite. for sure there. Yeah. And, and just status and clout from this podcast it's, yeah. can't be from calculated. Your, from your reviews. Otherwise, I'd be dead. Mm-hmm. <laughs> hey, Patches, do you believe in God? The Christian God? Um... Oh man, that is a heavy fucking question for the opening remarks here. I guess no. Yeah, we're going straight soul surfer right Not the, the Christian God. <laughs> Not the Christian God, I don't think. Although I'd have to go back and read the Bible, see if that confirms anything for me, I guess. But probably not, no. You got a lot of work ahead of you. Well, we are here to talk about uh, The Devil All the Time. You could watch it right now on Netflix. It is directed by Antonio Campos. Campos? Campos. I'll say compost. Compost. Yeah. Uh, this movie should go in the compost. Am I right? Oh, oh hey! I, I, I actually haven't. Cut seen it, to the, the quick. Reviews have been very, very entertaining. Yeah, man. I wish the movie uh, was as direct as you just were, David, uh, because I think the biggest problem that the devil all the time has. I'm gonna. Try not to go into spoilers, but uh, maybe just. I don't even know what end, you'd spoil, f- to be quite honest. But flog the you could. Is it just every... like one violent death after another? Yes, it is. <laughs> yes. Yeah, just so spoil every violent death, I guess. Yeah, but you could. I think you could sum up all the plot lines by saying one sentence about one character, uh, but uh, it's not important. Um, maybe I'll do that off the show just to prove that I can. Uh, the Devil All the Time tells the story of two generations, at, at, let's say, uh, but very specifically two generations of a town, uh, two towns on the Ohio and West, uh, oh shit, what's that? West Virginia. State? West Virginia border. Thank you. Um, uh, and, uh, you have a murderer's row of performances from Tom Holland and Bill Skarsgård and Robert Pattinson and Riley Keough, Jason Clark and Sebastian Stan and Mia Wachowska and what have you. Uh, they're all in here doing great things in a story that is essentially misery porn, unless perhaps you think that outside of this movie, outside of life, even after you die, there's a warm, loving embrace waiting for you. There's a chance at redemption and forgiveness after death. Man, if you do, this movie has a lot of great performances strung together. Some cliches that you've seen if you've, uh, I don't know, ever watched a lecherous Southern preacher before in any sort of media. <laughs> um <laughs> 
Of which there uh, are many in this movie. I think there's maybe more, at least two. There's at least two lecherous Southern preachers. Uh, and uh, yeah, it's... I'm I'm somebody that has forgiven um, misery porn movies in the, my past, and up until like about halfway through this film, when I started seeing how it was paying off some of the storylines it was setting up, because it is a slow open and then a slow close. Uh, with spurts of uh, horribleness and violence uh, running like a heartbeat through it. Um, but it, it it does have something interesting to say about the human condition and what it the different types of people who orbit around uh, Christianity from that part of the country, whether or not they actively participate in it. And I do think that... Uh, the grim tone it takes is somewhat earned for that. Uh, I think the problem is the movie never takes a stance on these horrible things uh, that we watch people do. The biggest problem I had with the film is uh, there's one character who uh, commits suicide. There's a couple characters who commit suicide, but uh, there is a narrator in this movie. Uh, it was adapted from the book, so I assume that's a... Uh, trope allowed to get some of the prose uh, in the film oh, and, the, and the narrator so the book is by donald ray pollock and it was kind of acclaimed mm-hmm. it seemed like um you know kind of cormac mccarthy-esque and southern gothic poetry type pastoral book uh the narrator is actually donald ray pollock um oh, yeah, which yeah. i feel like is something you don't see it's something that seems pretty logical. Like, get the person who wrote the book to read it, especially if they have a solid voice. And apparently he does not do his own audiobooks, as I asked Antonio Campos. But um, oh, that's, that's fascinating. Sad. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, anyway, uh, I think the weird thing about a narrator in this type of stories, uh, he has facts uh, that the characters don't have, which is fine for a narrator. But when the second character commits suicide, they hesitate and by accident um, happened to still manage to commit suicide. So outwardly shunned by the religious community as a suicide. But the narrator says that she was forgiven because they had uh, decided not to do it before and so therefore wasn't considered like a suicide in the eyes of God. That is the closest the movie comes to taking a stance on whether anything is good or bad. And it's disturbing because it's the narrator in this short moment. It's not any of the characters we watch almost have arcs until some horrible suffering is uh, befalling them. And then uh, (laughs) the conclusion is that there seems to be a God that can forgive you afterwards. And that that's uh, all the the warmth uh you're going to find in this world everyone else is bad Dave, and out for themselves what you're describing and is, vengeance is, is violence really and dense and perpetuated abstract and i don't know if it makes a lick of sense um because i the, realize this we, movie doesn't make any sense no i mean so it that's, makes that's, sense that's, yeah that's what i was about to say which is like we haven't really explained what the movie's about you know there's a ton of people in this movie tom holland uh robert pattinson was going viral over the weekend it released because he made up some southern accent based on absolutely no research and that's kind of wonderful him screaming and being wacky um yeah. but it ha- maybe you get five minutes of that in the two some uh, it has a it has a great novelistic structure of weaving these narratives together but while that works in a novel here it just comes off as sort of like lazy pulp fiction wait because- can i ask quickly uh, sorry I was just going to go back to the Robert Pattinson of it all. I don't know where you're going with this because I haven't seen the movie. But can I ask about Robert Pattinson real quick? Yeah, if we yeah, say no, do. then what happens? I mean, yes, <laughs> I guess well, then, I ask your question. Though. Then Dave gets to continue <laughs> what he was saying. I see. Um, my question is this. How much of the movie is Robert Pattinson in? Maybe 15, 20 minutes of a, of okay, a two-hour, 20-minute movie. We need Oof. to stand a supporting king. Stand. There's a D on that for some reason. We need, we need to, to stand. stand. We need to stand. I am standing now in salute <laughs> so I can properly stand supporting King Robert Pattinson for all of his fame. The future Batman, the Batman of our hearts, continues well, to, everyone even in films as large as Tenet, 
Yes, yes, yes. But Robert Pattinson is a long string of doing wonderful sporting work, even when he could easily headline a movie if he wanted to, whether it's The Lost City of Z, whether it's Tenet, whether it's this movie that I'm never going to watch, uh, whether, What's I mean... What's the one where he's French? Belle Ami? Where he's French. No, the one where he plays like Louis XIV or something. Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Childhood of a Leader. Movie? Yeah, yeah. Childhood of a Leader, yeah. Um, no. Is that the one I'm thinking of? Yes, I there was it is. Some like war movie where he plays some like ridiculous French king. Oh, the, oh that's not the oh, Brady Corbett. The other Netflix. He movie. is. He is in the Childhood of a Leader. Uh, you are thinking of the King with Timoth- Timothy Chalamet. Where right, and I kept thinking. Out, I kept thinking Outlaw King. I'm like, I know he's not in that one. It's the other. But, one. I never saw the King. Your question only affirms my point, uh, <laughs> which is that he continues to do stellar and often very strange supporting work, and I'm here for it. I love that for him. All the other aphorisms and things that the young people say today, I'm there. Robert Pattinson, go on. Well, They were dragging him on Twitter because apparently he would not (laughs) take a dialogue coach. And uh, what he's chosen to do in this movie is hilarious because this movie is filled with a lot of non-Americans doing American accents uh, from a very specific region. But as the movie went on and his scenes went on, I was actually like, Robert Pattinson's the smart one here because he's like, here's my role that requires this much of my time and and that gives me this much space to play in. And he expands to the degree that he can in the role. But unfortunately, it is the rote cliche I was talking about of like new preacher comes into town, seduces young girls and then like tells them to get abortions. Yeah. Every Great. every tw- like the movie is chopped up into twenty minute vignettes essentially. Like mm-hmm. here's a new character and here's how their violent end. It feels like playing the end of a Coen Brothers movie over and over and over and over again. But you don't get any <laughs> of the character development or the humor. It's just like the morbid way they accidentally died. So at, it's like a, a can, Buster Scruggs that's even more. Yeah, grim. like who gets shot in the wrong way at the wrong time or who like goes overboard with beating another person to death. Um, and just there's, horrible there's, there, things happening to people left and right. There could be, there is like room, which like some people tweeted tweeted at me when I tweeted my uh, responses to this movie that, you know, the book uh, actually has like a point to it. And you could see that because there are points for like levity in this story, but it's like the movie almost doesn't have time for it. And again, it gets shunted to the narration. So uh, all the sermons in this are good because they're basically just like performance things uh, to for the preachers to chew but bite off and chew. Who plays uh, the, evil preachers? Uh, Robert, Robert Pattinson. Pattinson and Dudley from uh, Harry Potter. Yes, oh, wow. Speaking of Buster Scruggs. Yes, yeah, the exactly. bad guy from the old guy. He, uh, you know, at one point is afflicted by uh, something that he thinks is sent by God. And apparently his head swells up to like the size of a pumpkin and he's embarrassed by it. But it's all off camera. And the narrator just like fills you in. And you're like, this movie has so many chances where it could have some levity and it denies that to you. And like, I guess we should have all seen it fucking coming from the title. But I'm just not used to Christian oriented it's not in the devil porn. Some of the time, dude. <laughs> yeah, one hundred percent of the runtime. I mean, I haven't, I haven't seen since the Passion of the Christ. I have, and granted, I don't watch a lot of Christian movies. But my favorite Southern while, Gothic film across. And the, the, no, Soul Surfer is my Christ. favorite Southern Gothic film. <laughs> not since the Passion of the Christ have I seen a movie that is just basically Christianity misery porn. Or, but it doesn't take like a strong Christianity stance. It's just that's the only way I could see this narrative as the way it plays out in the movie having a point. Otherwise, it's just let's see what happens if Jason Clark cuts some dude's penis off. Ooh. I mean, what if this movie answers (laughs) that question bravely? That's true. Oh, Um, so many people dying. It's a shame that this movie is kind of a wash. Although, you know, Netflix really tends to telegraph this stuff far in advance. I know they didn't play the festival game this fall, but you have to think that if uh, a movie by Antonio Campos were any good, it would have shown up somewhere. Or uh, can this is like can written all over it, big stars um, and slow burn. Yeah, patches. Did did do you have anything to add to what I said that you said didn't make sense? Well. Yeah, I guess I was just looking. I was kind of grasping for the theme. I'm, you're you're kind of waiting for the punchline to this whole movie. I guess it opens yes. 
in um, it, it opens in World War II and kind of ends in Vietnam. Um, it's a generational story, so almost none of the characters interact, or they're all in their own worlds, they're all on their own paths, um, and I, I just don't know what this movie's trying to say. It's, it's it's interesting. I like Antonio Campos's other films. Christine was an interesting experiment. Uh, Simon Killer is probably still one of his most successful. Um, and I, I watched some of The Sinner. Did anyone watch The Sinner, which he directed? Yeah, and, and I did. Um, I watched... Wait, which season did he, did he do? He the... did the first season with Jessica Biel. Oh, I watched the second season. Um, oh, right. Uh, look for that on the Little Goldman uh, sponsor mm-hmm. page or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but but his fi- films really like take one character and drill down and get like really psychological and can often be pretty surreal. And this movie is strange because it's, it's a huge ensemble. There's no time to concentrate on any one character and I, I as i alluded to I, I did a small interview with him for polygon and where he was talking about like growing up as catholic and wanting to do something that grappled with his his religious upbringing or like his mom was really religious and his dad wasn't and that conflict always played for him so he could relate to this material but i, I don't know the godlessness of of the south and and wartime maybe it's too familiar now maybe southern gothic is like He's overextending here in and with mood. Like we've seen the story too many times. It, it feels like a Cormac McCarthy knockoff, as I kind of said. It, it really has nothing going on. And yeah, this movie can live on Netflix. I, I don't know. It's it's who would press this? I'm not. I do want to shout to end the segment maybe on a more positive note. Uh, one of Antonio Campos's boys from the Borderline film group. I don't know if, if Borderline films is still a thing. Uh, I know there was a moment in time where they were the hottest thing going in, in American Well, Sean film. Durkin has a new film out. Well, it's Patches. Clearly oh, where I'm going with this. <laughs> Is there a scene? Could we, could we get another film from Sean Durkin, please? Oh, well, it's funny that you should ask because uh, just <laughs> a couple of days after The Devil All the Time premiered on Netflix, a new film by his former – or fabulous new film. Borderline – Films compatriot Sean Durkin of Martha Marcy May Marlene, which is a film that never really gelled with me, but I respect the craft, uh, premiered in uh, theaters. Um, but uh, really? let's and yes. is it also it, on VOD? No, it is not. Okay. It, is not it premiered in 200 and some odd theaters. It is going to be on VOD in November. Um, oh, God. Please oh, do not take anything. Let's talk about it then because I. As a rush to go see it. I but really it's called like The it. Nest. We can talk about it in November. Uh, but it is a really, it's a really interesting movie and it'll still be interesting in November, but um, I'm glad to see some part of the borderline, the border, I keep saying borderlands, the border line film contingent thriving. Uh, I don't know if I feel any personal investment in that, but why not? Good things for, for people. Martha Marcy Mamarlene, I remember, is the first thing I ever saw Julia Garner in, newly minted sure. winner. Oh, it's a transition. I didn't even think about that. Most of us watch the Emmys. Uh, I, as a sick, sad person, uh, was really happy to have an award show to watch and was honestly impressed in a lot of ways at how they pulled it off. Um, there were jokes that didn't work, as there always are. Jimmy Kimmel is, like, not my favorite of the hosts, but also kind of maybe has the right attitude for something like this. As he said in his statement about it, he was like, I don't know why we're doing the Emmys or how, but we're going to do them. And um, and I was grateful for it. There were wins that i was happy for i liked seeing schitt's creek's whole canadian party where they got to brag that they were in canada and their four could have a party um but they were all wearing masks and then they would take their masks off i know and hug each i other. was extremely puzzled by the mask policy because yes. i thought the whole thing was that they all tested beforehand and then isolated so that they knew they could like freely have a party unlike the friends know. people who apparently actually have been quarantining together for some time <laughs> the the women of friends who all appeared uh, in the same bit wait really uh, apparently had been i'm not sure for how long but have been quarantining together i mean if you have a mansion with 800 beds in it why not yeah might as has jason well. bateman it's, also it's, been quarantining with them apparently or yes because his wife is involved in them in some capacity i'm not sure but what? uh it's so funny to be like <laughs> hey you guys uh, we need to do a bit in two weeks so please come live in my guest room hey I mean, that's what friends do boy yeah, that's, that's what, what we're all gonna for. do Two weeks from now. Meanwhile, the HBO Max people who paid $73 million for the reunion are like, what the fuck is happening? (laughs) I did enjoy that part of it. 
Um, I don't know. I love Succession. I was ex- excited to see Succession win, including Jeremy Strong, my number one boy. Um, what were you guys excited about? Excited might be the wrong word. I feel like uh, we've talked about the Emmys on this podcast before, where every passing year, I'm just like the the splintering of what people watch and how we watch it together. With no Game of Thrones, there was like no show that everyone watches this year and movies will always have it easier right at the oscars there's only like 10 movies you have to see and most people by the time the oscars happen have seen a lot of them and you can all get excited and now does not seem like the time to say the movies have it easier though next year's emmys might be very focused we're all gonna be like fuck yeah tiger king let's do it Oh my God! No, but the so Tiger King was eligible this year, actually. Yeah, uh, truly Grammy level bad, especially in terms of the sheer number of awards that are handed out and how blinkered the choices for the top awards seem to be. I, I mean, as someone who has what? not followed Emmy season whatsoever, I was jaw on the floor shocked at how terrible the shows are that were regularly nominated and like what David, what are the wait i'm sorry but what are the bad shows what are the bad shows now i'm okay, gonna stand up for let's the do this. what are you doing i stand I'm, I'm, i stand I'm, for the obvious i'm pulling up the wikipedia right now okay, uh while you do that let's go here hang on yeah hang on. i'm just gonna remind you of the years when monk ran away with all of the awards Listen, every single year what what but wikipedia i'm don't don't uh, don't mistake me for saying that uh <laughs> the previous emmys were good <laughs> i'm saying now that my feeling is that all of the emmys or bad. Okay, so we have the list here. We got uh, Shit's Creek, Never Saw, Good for the Canadians. I thought that the sh- shock that they were feigning by the time they won the Are you going Schitt's down the whole a little, swept, a little swept all the acting awards? Never Dave saw. Dave is I'm here sure to diss every single Emmy nominated <laughs> show. Here we go. No, I mean, you got your commitment. This show methods. isn't Parasite. This show isn't Parasite. This show isn't Parasite. <laughs> there the is going to be a Parasite the, show in theory. Right. Kaminsky oh, method. God. I believe that Hollywood was nominated for something. I believe another Ryan Murphy show was nominated for something. Uh, that's already. Now you're just what is making your up. No, what is, Hollywood what A was not nominated here? as a show. It got acting awards. I don't know what other Ryan Murphy show you're talking about. Uh, and Watchmen won Outstanding Limited Series, and it's great. Watchmen where is pretty was, damn great. Where was, where was the great? Where was Terrace House? Don't tell me it wasn't eligible. Where was Ted Lasso? Don't tell me that Jason Stakis was there. Where was. Uh, <laughs> Jason Stakis. Oh my god. Lasso is not eligible. Okay. Why, what are you talking about? Why is Stranger Things nominated for Best David, show? why That's did you psychotic. watch the Emmys? Why did you watch the Emmys? <laughs> because, because, that's a great question. What is because, wrong with you? And, and that's, a, that's a very good question uh, that I'm happy to answer because I agree wholeheartedly with Katie that the, these were a positive thing. Uh, and I was a little. I, listen, I understand that the hardcore TV audience uh, are the people who are going to have a bone to pick with these shows, just as the hardcore film fans, um, even those who lean towards the Oscar side of their film enjoyment, are going to complain about the Oscars. But given where we are in the world right now and what's happening, I could not believe the knee jerk animosity I was seeing towards this try hard telecast that was overcoming so many difficulties to put on an entertaining show. Wait, you just right jumped in here and talked about how you couldn't believe how terrible it was. I, I th- no, I, I thought the shows nominated were just appalling. I never realized that the TV <laughs> Academy was as had that poor taste almost, you know, on I thought you loved Academy. Mrs. Maisel. The only thing I can find that you don't like is the but, Kaminsky method, which I have uh, never seen. And I, I bet you haven't either. Listen, all the shows are bad. Uh, but let me, let me, I come here not to bury television, but to praise it. And oh this show in and of itself, which I thought was from the moment it started, a really interesting kind of high wire act. Uh, I thought and continue to think for a lot of today, we're recording this on Monday, the day after it happened, that the process of delivering the Emmys to the nominees and then in some cases as Rami Youssef showed online running away in a hazmat suit with the that Emmy was that the, that was the best part of the Emmys was I think. fantastic I thought I spent more time today than I should have just thinking about the logistics of pulling that off the did, people who did some of them have boxes that pop some of them had boxes won? yeah John Oliver exploded had a box this is better television than most of the shows that were nominated <laughs> and uh, I I am here for it and uh, I I don't know what people were complaining about I thought given the circumstances they did a, a wonderful job. The highlight, of course, being <laughs> you're complaining, David. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm the highlight, of course, being Jennifer Aniston not being able to put out a fire that almost burned down the Staples Center in the beginning of the show. But I enjoyed it. Uh, I have an idea. If you have watched a Kaminsky Miska, the Kaminsky Method, and you're listening to this, write in and tell us about it, and then we might set a challenge where we make David watch the Kaminsky Method. 
I'll watch. Have it you too. seen Why the not? Kaminsky Method? No. No, but there's like no five seasons of it. No I'll watch an episode the of the Kaminsky Method. Morgan Freeman claims Isn't he found it like my Las channel Vegas, surfing, which doesn't show? exist. Okay. I, Katie, I'm so glad you said that because when Morgan, <laughs> said, when Morgan Freeman said that he saw the Kaminsky Method, a Netflix show, while, while channel, channel surfing. surfing, which I like. In the most generous interpretation of that, you can think maybe he is simply applying the <laughs> neologism of channel surfing to clicking around Netflix. But I refuse to believe that Morgan Freeman. No, is that's definitely not Netflix. true. This is all horseshit. Morgan Freeman has never seen a frame of the Kaminsky method. <laughs> <laughs> I take it all back. The Emmys are canceled. Uh, uh, let's watch the Kaminsky method for wait, the next episode. Here's my final comment on the Emmys. Um, the best part was the WandaVision trailer. Am I right, Dave? <laughs> The best was was the the WandaVision trailer. It yeah. aired on the yes. Emmys. I was like startled. I was like, "Oh, this is something I really care about." Play. I mean, I did. That was the thing I watched that aired during the Emmys. You're, you are correct. <laughs> For Dave, it was the best part and also the only part of the. Emmys. It was the part of the Emmys. Although I support <laughs> everybody. Television I'm glad is I getting better. Shit's Creek just in time. Katie, would you agree that? On average, pound for pound, the outstanding limited series nominees were better than the outstanding show nominees. Either company. Yeah, that or all, I mean, the limited series is like the prestige part of television now. Like that is so often where you're going to get better actors and better shows, and also Watchmen being a real ringer in that situation where it's just a great show. Uh, but also, Hugh Jackman didn't win for Bad Education, which I think is his best performance ever. So maybe the Emmys are horseshit. Yeah, I mean, it's not because the prestige, but he is, I mean, it's, it's a more complicated, no, it may be, he's wonderful, he's, he's wonderful in, he's, he's wonderful so good in bad education. education. If you haven't seen a bad education, it's on HBO, it's so good. Who won that award? Uh, Mark Ruffalo, for, I know this much is right. a show I will never watch. I mean, he does a lot of acting in that. Uh, Derek C in France could be one of the borderline films guys. He's not, but he, you know, they're either mortal enemies or good friends. I feel mm. um, neither can, neither can live while the other survives. No, it's definitely a Highlander situation. This segment is going longer than the Emmys. <laughs> uh, this is the mini segment. I forgot. I thought this was segment three. Anyway, uh, Ted Lasso, twenty twenty one. Let's go. Jason Segel's getting a COVID test on the air was pretty good. Oh, that was good. They really stuck it far into his nose. I, it seemed like a real COVID test. I don't know. The real ending of this segment should be Katie promoting Little Gold Men, because I'm sure you had a coherent conversation about the Emmys today. Yes. Can I just have that? Yes. Can Patches promote Little Gold Men, Gold Men and then I sign off on it? Kind of Christian God um, who allows superhumans to exist, Patches. Mm, that's a really great mm, point. They're beseeching uh, us, and I think that they might not be great people. David wants to chime in on the Christian. I just want to say I, we are about to talk about the show The Boys on Amazon Prime uh, that Patches has been cheerleading for for a while. And Dave, what, had you seen it? Because this feels like it'd be right up your alley. Uh, I had not seen it. A lot of people told me to see it. Now this. What were you is waiting the... for? That's very out of character for you. I was waiting for, A, the entire first season to be out. And then when mm -hmm. that happened, I kind of forgot about it because people stopped talking about it. And the second Damn. season came out. And so I was like, man, maybe I should just wait for the entire second season to be out and just watch it both at the same time. It didn't and so drop week by week? Nominations. Yes, it was dropping week by week. This oh, season, interesting. This season. But just to tee up Patches, who has been trying <laughs> yeah. to get us to watch this for a while, I... Finally today, watched the pilot for this show, or most of the pilot, because I was in the middle of doing nine other things. But I really, really enjoyed what I saw. So I have kindly requested that for me and for anyone out there who might be intrigued by the boys who hasn't watched it yet, they try their best to refrain from spoilers in talking about what happened in season one, talking setting up season two. But Patches, what's, what's the boys? Is this the one that Seth Rogen's involved in? Yes. Finally, Seth Rogen produced a piece of television that is taking off. He, you know, he... Produced the uh, he produced Preacher for AMC, and I think there is a similar tone there. Was Preacher also Garth Enos, Dave? Do you know off the top of your head? Yep, it was. Um, I guess Seth Rogen loves Garth Enos's dark, twisted comic books. Preacher, speaking of the Christian God, 
more focused on the Christian God. The boys, more focused on fascist superheroes and corporations who use them to destroy the world and the fabric of democracy and such. Um, yeah, this show really startled me. I, I keep calling it a miracle in conversation with people when I try and explain because there's no way to make it sound good. Um, I think of Katie a lot, actually, when I'm thinking about the boys and trying to be like, <laughs> how do you convince someone to watch a show in the, in the, in the like post Zack Snyder, post Suicide Squad? Like, here's a story about twisted superheroes that want to kill everybody. And super, it's like Superman is bad in this universe. And there's a band of anti-heroes who used to work for the CIA who are going to kill them. They want to kill the superheroes. This sounds awful. I mean, it's and and even the trailer, if you watch a trailer for the show, it's super violent. It has like dark, weird humor. Um, it's politically incorrect at times. Carl Urban plays the main character. Billy Butcher, who, as I mentioned, is a kind of ex-CIA who. Oh, he's uh, the main reasons, character. Yeah, for reasons that I won't get into are um, he's seeking revenge on Homelander, the kind of Superman proxy he hates that guy he knows all the soups are bad and he doesn't play by the rules he swears he says the c word a lot with david's favorite curse word now hey, <laughs> hey. you're following along um david must love this show man they say that word a lot in this show um, uh, I, I have not gotten to any utterances that that i uh, noticed oh, but i did want to comment on on the tone of the show which yeah like this seems on paper like it would be insufferable like it would be in the kick-ass vein of yep. like superheroes but r-rated and you have the 13 year old boys like jacking off in the movie theaters they watch it uh being you know never mind that this is not a movie certainly not playing in theaters uh but I thought, at least in the first episode that I saw, that it managed to be that kind of like edgelord entertainment you might expect, but in a way that seemed genuinely committed to its nihilistic streak. Uh, or it's, it doesn't, like, the, the first episode introduces a couple and then the girl gets exploded because a flashlight character runs through her at full speed uh, and it's quite graphic. And then there's a scene later where that flashlight character is like at a bar laughing about exploding her. Um, and it, it's just, it's, it didn't feel like that. And some of the other things you see at that superhero sex club were, even though I had some questions about the logistics and things that may or may not be sexually <laughs> advantageous about some of the superpowers that are used. Um, it didn't feel like it was using it cheaply. It felt like it was trying to make a point about this character and some potentially fascistic beliefs and philosophies that he espouses. But it didn't. It didn't feel like it was just doing it for the sake of doing it. Already, yeah, I find the kind of emotional groundwork of the show to be quite potent. Uh, like I'm scared when people get killed. In this universe, I, my heartstrings are tugged when people are like losing people they love or remembering fonder times. As you mentioned, um, the, one of the other main characters in the show is Huey, played by Jack Quaid, uh, Dennis Quaid's son. Who? Wait, who's his mom? Because Meg Ryan, right? Meg Randy Ryan. Quaid. Yes, he is the perfect blend of Meg Ryan and Dennis Quaid. It's yeah. quite eerie. Um, but he is kind of this schmuck who who needs to figure out his his life and when his girlfriend explodes um he's sent on the path with billy butcher descending into hell but like it's not wacky it really feels like they're on the run it really feels like everything is going to hell and when your opponent is superman and could laser you in the face it could fly anywhere in the world at any moment or smash into you like with their fist a thousand tons Force, like, what are you supposed to do? How do you deal with that? And I feel like the show tackles it pretty realistically uh, on both the the physics level and the emotional level. Um, and there's a lot of just different characters. We get a superhero who is being uh, inducted into this. So basically, the Justice League exists in this universe too, and Homelander is the the lead hero. But we have Starlight, who's this young new recruit, and she's realizing that uh, Vought Enterprises, the uh, company that pays for the the seven which is what they're calling this universe um you know they're a bunch of misogynists they have well, publicists to, out the wazoo that's another thing i love about there's point, so many there's so much publicist humor in this show i haven't gotten there but to that point there is uh, in the first episode involving 
Starlight and and her being sort of inducted into Vought and finding the right tone for the show. There is a genuinely discomforting scene of uh, sexual assault, like straight out of the Me Too uh, template. Um, it's a, a you know, show of power from a man taking advantage of his position. As soon as she shows up, uh, essentially it's Aquaman, uh, and it's it's not at all a funny moment. It's a really yeah. troubling moment, and the show doesn't really beat around the bush in terms of getting to it and exposing the ugliness of that kind of behavior. And it, I don't think it really as funny as it might be to watch Aquaman or the Aquaman equivalent, like jerk himself off uh in theory in the moment it's re- it's as horrifying as it would be if it were any other man and uh and, and i think it, the show grounds it in some very real stakes from that point on um it could have gone so off the rails i think even in the pilot and i was just depressed that it doesn't well i guess that's dave and katie you, you've both watched a little bit of the show i, I told katie that uh season two opens with a kind of supercut of season one that I thought did a pretty good job of, of recapping everything. Maybe that was my slightly skewed perspective as someone who actually watched season one. I don't know, but um, I do think you could jump into season two right now if you wanted to. But what what do you two make of the show? And, and maybe in the broader sense, like why when when does this kind of twisted dark humor, as David put it, edge lord stuff work, and when doesn't it? Dave should talk because Dave, you watched more of it than I did. And I feel like you, you pointed out that it felt like it, the recap didn't catch it up. I thought the recap got me there plot wise, but like the tone is maybe the thing that I missed out on the most. Yeah. I mean, the best things about this series are the things that are absolutely about this series. All of its subject matter is stuff that I've seen before. So it took me a while in um, season two to sort of like grasp where all the characters were. And I like our non-powered characters and I like our uh, new introduction to the seven and using her as a window into sort of things, how things already work. Uh, The issue for me is that when uh, you're someone like me that, has read, you know, like, uh, what is it? Uh, I pulled these things up. Volume 2 of Stormwatch by, uh, what, Ennis Ellis, Warren Ellis, mm. uh, and then, uh, which led into sort of uh, The Authority, which sort of inspired uh, Mark Miller to remake The Avengers into The Ultimates, which inspired Garth Ennis to sort of move in and write the comic book The Boys, uh, which was just sort of the extreme of these edgelord ideas. If you spend the 90s blowing superhero comics out to ankle pockets and weirdly proportioned uh, people and costumes that make absolutely no sense, where do you go from there? And their answer was, you guys think you're walking around making Kevin Smith-like jokes about, like, what happens if Superman's, you know, jizz can blow a hole through someone's head. Well, now we're going to make you watch it. And that's what these comics, like, sort of are. The sexual assault that David mentions also happens at the in the first couple of issues of The Boys, except instead of just the Aquaman character, it's all the male characters of the Seven, because they're really trying to nail this... Uh, uh, like point home and i think that works really well in a graphic medium and maybe where this conversation uh is most distilled as a satirical conversation the boys as a television show is good because of like patches was talking about you develop a fear for this ragtag group who are out for uh, various reasons to sort of take uh revenge on the seven and then, you know, stumble into something else that keeps pulling them deeper and deeper into the world of soups, not necessarily giving them powers, which I think is the problem that the boys, the comic book series does, is it thinks that our resistance people uh, need to have powers from the get-go. So our young, you know, protagonist very soon after he sees his girlfriend splatted by the flashlight character, Uh, eventually comes around to absorbing his own powers this one doesn't and because of that characters like him 
the other mercenaries, uh, like the female, the Frenchman, Mother's Milk, uh, Elizabeth Shue from the first season, um, and then Homelander, I think, eventually the Superman guy, but it takes like a while for that depth to really expose itself. All of those are have been changed slightly from the way they played out. Uh, who? What's the name of the invisible hero from season one, Patches? Translucent. Translucent. Translucent was completely made up for the show, and I think they do some really clever things with him in the first season. And, uh, like, everything that I liked about the boys is distinctly this creative team working for Amazon Prime adapting this series. Everything I didn't like was trying to, like, to get to the satirical punchline of, like, you know like being sexually attracted to Aquaman gills uh like sure yeah we will we're like what that would probably happen in this weird world where that happened but is do we need to necessarily see that uh luckily I think the deep season two plot line uh is much better it's better so yeah. far season two uh, it, it, I, I mean I really enjoyed season one but season two is definitely a step up with all the kind of like rules out of the way and the world well, I building. Think, yeah yeah that's it the rules are out of the way and everybody's consequences I think are very clear consequences and choices that they make and that's why season two is like a bit stronger because I think uh like the weakest parts of the boys are the parts that are trying to be like Ennis uh like I think the weakest parts of the preacher adaptation uh, where, where they didn't know what to do with the ugliness that the Preacher comic was, just to be ugly, uh, and sort of in-adaptation might have screwed some of that up. But so far, I think Garth Ennis, through the lens of Seth Rogen and uh, Evan Goldberg, right? Yeah. I think is the <clears throat> is the most tolerable Garth Ennis, for me at least. Most tolerable. <laughs> Katie, what did you uh, make of the uh, the episode that you've seen? I mean, this is I, the opposite of something I'd recommend to you, I know, but I, know. <laughs> I was and excited I do feel for you like, to see it. I do feel like starting from the beginning might have benefited me more because the tone thing that I was talking about, I think I had a hard time with. And Elizabeth Shue was in season one. Was yeah, like she's, she wasn't in yeah. season one. She's a boss. Elizabeth Shue. Um, like, cause it starts off with this like super violent recap of all the super violent stuff that's happened. And that's kind of like what you're being thrown into. And it felt, I didn't get that whole like emotional resonance of when people are threatened and any of that stuff. And, you know, I think the first episode of a season is always going to be kind of like, all right, gang's back together. Here's what we're up to. You're not going to get big, deep emotional moments. Um, but this, like, one, the one scene that really, like, threw me for a loop is with Homelander, who I am assuming is not a spoiler that, you know, in the first episode that he, you know, is an asshole with the penchant for violence. And there's just this, like, scene of him doing this really cruel, awful violence to someone who doesn't deserve it. And I guess at that point, you know his character well enough to know that that's something he does. But I just hated watching it. And I hated that in the second season with this bad guy that it's going to include like really pointless violence that you like show over and over and over again, even though you know, he's a bad guy. And that, that made me feel like I'm not going to be quite on the same wavelength as this show. Like I, I, I can live with violence. But I was thinking about the old guard, which I really liked and which is super violent. And like, you know, the, the violence was not my favorite part of it, but I felt like it had this like emotional vein running through the whole thing that I didn't totally find in the boys. Well, I thought, I think the violence in the boys is grotesque, all of it. And I, and that's unique. Like sometimes you have, you know, this is not John Wick or something where they're doing cool moves and he's stabbing someone across the knee. So their blood squirting out and he's falling down and that's cool. Like nothing is cool about Homelander squishing someone's skull or laser blasting through their chest or like doing all of these horrible things that he has done to people over the course of these two seasons so far. Um, it's disturbing. It's truly, truly awful. And it's, it's the ultimate power. It's the ultimate, like if a, if a company, if a corporation can weaponize this, how do you beat a company? It's so fantastic that this show is on Amazon. Um, because <laughs> the show is about Amazon. It's about, one company becoming like having that supreme power it's frightening i find it all really grotesque and then when we can like go back down to the level of the boys themselves like again this ragtag team trying to outrun heroes who can find you anywhere on the planet um that there's a real family element especially in season two that amps up um i was trying to I, see I that's that's yeah. what i like i like that more than the company stuff because the company stuff seems like you know, play a mind game with yourself with the logical conclusion with this set of world building facts, you know, like all the 
stuff that's nested inside the company stuff is that interpersonal like character stuff. Like I guess the second season expands the company stuff as a player maybe outside of an individual character, but it still has Giancarlo Esposito to be its figurehead. Yeah, I don't want to spoil too much as as David mentioned, like some people may finally just be finding time and getting into this show. But what the the company has done, it's more than just hiring a bunch of heroes. Um, They are integral to the creation of these heroes. And what they've done to the world is egregious. It's an offense. They've changed the world forever in order to make money. Um, and, And I find that to be quite shocking, too. The whole thing, I've been trying to put my finger on, like, what does the boys remind... Like, what kind of show is the boys? Is there anything quite like it before it like without superheroes and i'd have i don't know if i could totally find one or if this makes sense but it kind of reminds me of succession i think it's kind of like succession in that it is able to be funny and just harrowing the next second um it obviously succession is not a violent show although it can be quite grotesque in a similar way to the homelander stuff um but yeah, it's interesting that these two shows have emerged at the same time to like push back and, and scream and shout against the kind of capitalist society that we, we found ourselves in that's so oppressive. Um, but I think you'd be hard-pressed to find a show quite like The Boys going back in time. I don't know. Is there anything that comes to mind having watched a little bit or heard about it? Or Dave, you read the comics. Um, I don't know if there's a show like this. Uh, no, I mean... I haven't had reason. I haven't had this much fun with this level of violence since I think like Hannibal mm. uh, which is that the context of it is yes it's horrible but they manage to most of the time tinge moments of extreme violence with some sort of uh levity as opposed to say the devil all the time where it's just like, here's horrible people doing horrible things. This one, like, yeah, it's horrible that his girlfriend gets exploded by a, like, speedster. But that, like, you know, sets up the plot. It's, like, kind of so shocking that, you know, it doesn't, like, happen. Like, so there are a couple of instances where people are, bad people are hilariously killed, like, during sex. Like, it's, like, if you're gonna do violence, uh, embrace that as part of your genre and your tone. And when you cross that line, you have to be very measured with it. And so far, the boys hasn't suddenly, like the thing that Katie's referencing does seem pretty sudden, but because it's ultimately a guy and an overeager man in a costume that this violence is enacted upon, like it's with it's supposed to be within the levity tone of the script. It doesn't suddenly violate. I'm not worried about this series suddenly getting too real and showing it. Well, it, like, it always like, reels itself back in. Like in the third episode of the second season, um, the boys drive through a whale. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, but like, that's, that's a funny escalation of violence where something like the devil all the time. Like I watch Robert Pattinson, like give a sermon and then I have to watch a two minute shot of him getting a blowjob from his wife. It's like, I don't need to watch <laughs> it. And I don't need to watch Stick it for as long mud. as it goes on. No. You just could show that his wife is going to give him a blowjob and cut away. And I've got the information, which is something like the boys would do, because then, you know, you don't have to revel in it. And I think the boys has a lot of violence. But if you're like enacting those violent that that violence on uh, like um, bad people, I think it works. Patches, there's something you want to note about. Well, I, I was going to. Yeah, I was going to say that. The show has had a few complaints this season um, because they've introduced a character who is just so blatantly a white supremacist. Truly, uh, she's played by Aya Cash, um, and she's her name is Stormfront. She's actually a gender-bent character from the comics, which is kind of cool. Um, cool in that she is basically a neo-Nazi, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> not, not as cool. Um, but she's also all over social media. She's like the best thing that ever happens to the seven. And she take, you know, she's all over Instagram and YouTube and she is actually super like pro women and sticking up for the other women on the team. And then all of a sudden she is like killing 
helpless people uh, of color, and you're like, what the hell? That she is truly. I mean, awful. we weren't supposed what's, to spoil this by the way, and then you just yes, yes. I think you're supposed to. Yeah, no, uh, it's uh, it's quite shocking, and it's and the show's taking some criticism for like, do we need a show? That's not that. That is definitely not a spoiler. I mean, this is the first episode. This is introducing a new character who has absolutely nothing to do in the first season, so no, no real spoilers here. Um, but uh, the show has taken a little bit of flack for kind of depicting white supremacy in, the, in at this time and like killing uh, BIPOC characters. I've seen that complaints and just. Um, like I, I get that it's 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 definitely uncomfortable at times. I find the show to be really confrontational uh, in a helpful way, and in a way that I just don't see on television. Or that like we're coming up with grand metaphors, and hopefully people will interpret them and learn the lessons. Or like I, I think the show gets real about all the issues that it's tackling, and I think it helps. It's the show seems like it has a lot of different types of writers. I don't know who is on the staff to be quite honest, but. Uh, in the first and second season, I feel like the way it dips into different conversations feels more authentic than a lot of, like, certainly Marvel or DC films. That They're not saying anything. Um, but, but even these shows that are trying to tackle more timely messaging, in the second season, there's a whole subplot about how the corporation is forcing the superheroes to make a um a big like avengers endgame style movie uh, or i guess it's a Zack snyder movie dawn of the seven and um the the producers keep asking the women like okay everybody get in here we're gonna say the women get it done uh, catchphrase or girls get it done catchphrase and they're like what are we? and it's a complete spoof of that endgame scene where it's just like let's get all of the women in the movie to be arbitrarily in one shot where they're kicking ass or something and um it just feels like really specific and it feels like all the writers must get their their moments or get their the things that they want to tackle into this show and the show is stretchy enough to allow it maybe that's what i'm i've been trying to pinpoint like what do i like about this show i, I it has so much going on uh and it's because it can do everything it can and it can sustain that weight i'm, I'm impressed so yeah no i i, I mean i hear the people who are saying those criticisms because that's a criticism you might remember i had with the old guard uh, but I think uh, whereas the old guard just did it, uh, this is saying something about it. Uh, and so it's different. It's a choice and you're supposed to be disturbed by it. And I mean, I'm going to try to be. <clears throat> I'm going to try not to be too serious, but, it, uh, you know, here the Aurora Police Department has started. Uh, arresting organizers of uh, anti-police brutality uh, protests uh, for charges like kidnapping because they surrounded a police uh, precinct and therefore kidnapped the 18 officers inside, which is a felony, and they're keeping them and haven't set bond for, I think, four days now that I'm talking, uh, we're recording this. Uh, So if you want to get mad at uh supremacy enforcing things uh if you live in the united states there's somewhere very near to you that this is happening and i encourage you to go get mad there and let this amazon series say some dumb things about superheroes damn i like you can get serious on the podcast that's a good good kind of serious i mean i don't want to take away from this show which i think you're right the people who are writing it if they aren't you know people of these things they're representing, they're at least people of this time and are realizing this story can expand to take in current events, uh, like the original comic book was sort of a response to what was happening in comics. And it's real smart. It's a real smart TV show. They, they should keep going it. in that direction. Well, I'm glad I convinced everyone on this podcast to at least watch a little of The Boys, and I'm <laughs> hoping that you will all watch more of The Boys, and maybe if enough people who listen to this want us to talk more about the boys we'll talk about it again sometime when it's over the boys it's on now on amazon on now with the marvelous mrs mazel that does it for this week's episode we'll be back next week in the meantime tell the people who you are i'm matt patches senior editor at polygon.com and I'm on Twitter at Mr. Patches. We have a website, findingthewarroom.com. So the next time you're just sitting at your computer, you need something to listen to, 
scroll all the way back on fightinginthewarm.com. Listen to some old episodes. Oh, also, I, we've been, I've been podcasting with Dave uh, with a seven recently on Republic City Dispatch, our mm. old but new Legend of Korra podcast. So if you have discovered that show on Netflix, maybe you should go back and listen to our episodes of that show. There are new ones. Uh, I am David Ehrlich. Sorry, I disappeared for a while there uh, to take care of something, but I think I may have conveniently missed all of the spoilerific talk about the boys. I think you did, I, actually. Uh, oh, well, that ended up working very conveniently. Uh, also would also convenient would be if you went on iTunes and left us a review on Fighting in the War Room on iTunes. You can't leave us a review on Spotify, even though you can listen to us there. But you can leave one on iTunes or read it on the show on iTunes. <laughs> and I'm Dave Gonzalez. I spell that first name DA7E. You can follow me there on Twitter. I also appear on the Storm, a Lost Rewatch podcast. We are coming up on the finale of season three. Things are heating up for my boy John Locke. It's been pretty <laughs> great. Uh, come check us out. Uh, and I'm Katie Rich. You can find me on the Little Goldman podcast, where, as you might have heard earlier, we also talked about the Emmys, uh, as is our want. Um, you can find me on VanityFair.com and on Twitter at Katie Rich, K-A-T-E-Y-R-I-C-H. And we're all on Twitter at F-I-T-W-R, where you can talk to us about uh, whether or not you've watched The Kaminsky Method, or you can answer this week's lightning round question, which was... In honor of Antebellum, what movie musical should Janelle Monet appear in? Thanks for listening, and we'll be back talking to you next week. The answer is a Whitney Houston jukebox musical, and because it's <laughs> Janelle Monet and it's technical... It's ampersand I E I for and I E I and then I will always love you. Ooh. Thank you very much. Well done. I'll uh, see you next week. <laughs> Take us out, Charlie. I'm done. We're done.